May each of us become such clear and pure instruments of light, of love, of presence, of clarity, of equanimity, that the light of spirit pours through our every, every cell and everybody we meet is touched by living spirit. No matter how we meet them in whatever role in life, then where we are, everywhere we look, we will see flowers blooming. It's what the sun sees when it looks down from above. What grace, what incredible grace. Welcome, everyone, to another Ramdas Here and Now episode. I'm Jackie Dobrinska, your host, and you, you all are the Ramdas community. Today, we're diving into episode number 218, and it's focused on the qualities of awareness. It's another lecture from 1985, and it feels really special because it starts with a meditation. It's a meditation focused on spaciousness and equanimity and love. And then it goes into a Q&A session where Ramdas is answering questions about current events of the 1980s, which we can really extrapolate into our times. Um, he talks about reconciling suffering and grace, the crossroads of spirituality and politics, the process of learning to love yourself. Uh, something we can all probably do a little bit more of. He also talks about assisted suicide, homophobia, and when sadness comes up during meditation. And then it wraps up with a six-part round of Ramdas leading the Jubilate Deo, which is really beautiful and feels really special. Um, it's the essence of satsang, of coming together in community. And so if you want to come together in living, breathing community, remember we have one every other week. Uh, they are focused on discussing these episodes and we get to share our inspirations and curiosities and really connect with each other on these topics that we might not have a lot of people to talk with about. So uh, the next one's February 7th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You get the invitations <laughs> the invitations by going to ramdas.org slash fellowship. And while you're on that page, check out your, if there's a local in-person gathering near you as well. We have about 140 different groups around the world um, where they get together once a month or once every two weeks in person to sort of dive deeper into these teachings. And if you want to meet in person, in another way, know that we have some in-person retreats coming up. The Boone Retreat is in August. So information about that is coming out soon. So keep an eye out. We'd love to see you there. Um, and in that retreat, we did our first one last year. This is the second one in Boone. And uh, it's the intersection, all of our retreats are really the intersection of bhakti and Buddhism. Because really, that's what Ramdas was about, right? The, the mindfulness and the heartfulness. Um, and so, you know, the mindfulness piece, I think many of us 
know about. We maybe some of us out there have meditation practices, um, and you know it has a an ability to really change the way we show up in the world. And if it's something that you want to teach, uh, I do want to let you know about David Nickturn. You might know him because he has a podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Um, he is the founder and director of Dharma Moon, and he has a mindfulness meditation teacher training program. And I just finished this program, you know, to augment what I offer my students and clients in the world. Um, and it's really an amazing program. You know, if you want to teach meditation, it's, it can be really rewarding. You can help people improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while we deepen our own practice and understanding. So if you want to check it out, uh, David is going to be joined by Professor Robert Thurman, an amazing human, uh, and they're going to be doing a free online program on Tuesday, February 14th. Uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so maybe it's a valentine to yourself. They'll be discussing the role of the meditation teacher in this program. So to find out more, go to dharmamoon.com slash be here now. So as always, whatever good may come from these teachings of this episode and podcast, may it benefit all of us in our daily lives and ripple out into the world we thank each of you for being here, as well as all the people on the back end who help make this possible, including those of you who donate, the gift of our sponsors, and the many sound engineers and all the folks that work to make this happen. So enjoy this episode. Namaste and blessings. Maybe we'll start with just a really short meditation. Get comfortable and feel the seat under you and the floor and the the air on your face. Be aware of your breath. All the sounds around you, just notice them. Everything that arises, a sound or a sensation, just let it arise and then pass away. Don't grab hold of it, don't try to push it away. There's pain in your body, just notice that. Allow it, don't get upset, don't. It's not gonna keep you from anything. Thoughts about past or future, just notice them.
all the joy and enthusiasm of the people out in the lobby. It's all part of the family, just all of us gathering. Just allow your awareness to expand, to embrace everything you hear or feel or think. Just And that too, yes, and that too. And just keep seeing there is space around each thing. And see that your awareness is the space in which all of the thoughts and all of the sensations are appearing and disappearing. as if your awareness were the sky and all your thoughts and sensations are the clouds coming, passing through, disappearing in the far horizon. And feel that this awareness has qualities to it that you can notice at this stage, you can notice spaciousness. Notice spaciousness. Feel the spaciousness that expands into this whole theater so that really there is one awareness and there are all these different forms through which it is passing. We all heard that cough. Hmm. One awareness. We're all right here. And now another quality of this spaciousness, equanimity. Just see that no matter how agitated you are, no matter how frightened you are, no matter how despairing or aggravated or doubting or confused, see that also in you is this place behind it which has equanimity, which is equanimous. And allow that too, and that too. It doesn't make your depression or despair or confusion or doubt or agitation any less, but it merely says also here is equanimity. There is a place in me that always is at peace if I will merely acknowledge it. Even at the most frightening moments, tiny thread though it might be, it's always right here. Mm. And see how this quality, this awareness, also has the quality of love, of an appreciation of forms. 
bring before your mind's eye somebody that you love and feel that place in your heart that opens. And how fortunate you are to have shared part of an incarnation with such a person. Whether that person be in flesh or not. Now bring to mind before your eye an image of yourself standing in front of yourself, your separate self. And see what happens to your heart then. Does it close down? Does it stay open? Do you have that same feeling of love and appreciation for the preciousness of yourself? If you pull back into your judging mind, release Relax. Look more deeply. Part the veils and see your own beauty, your own precious isness. See that behind all of the dramas of that person, that self that stands before you, there is. I am. Listen to this poem of Swami Ram Tirth and keep in mind yourself standing before you. He said, I am without form, without limit. I am beyond space, beyond time. I am in everything. Everything is in me. I am the bliss of the universe. Everywhere I am. Recognize your own higher self and recognize the way it has come into form and appreciate the perfection of the creation. See that you are the creator and the created. You are the lawful form unfolding, and you are that which is behind the law. You are one of the many, and you are the one. Can you not love that being that stands before you? Can you not allow it to be just as it is, 
and recognize the possibility that it is not an error. It's nothing to do. You are just as you are. And the work and the changes all will happen naturally if you will just allow yourself to be as you are. And you can delight in the changing form of that being that stands before you. Work on yourself is one level. Another level, there is no work. It's all dance. Another level, there is no dance. There is no time or space. It all just is. All true. All who we are. We are so much more than we ever think we are. Now bring before you somebody who you have a difficult time liking. Somebody who's, who you feel their actions hurt others or create suffering or take away others' freedom. Feel what happens to your heart then. And once again, Hold quiet. Notice your reactivity and stay aware in the space and allow yourself to see through the veils of the action to the being back inside. And realize what a hard incarnation it must be for somebody whose actions create suffering in others. And see the way in which you can say no to the person's actions without closing your heart to the soul that has taken that birth. See the way a no can be a healing no. It can heal you and that other person into the one that lies behind the no and the yes. And now from this collective place of isness, this quiet, equanimous, peaceful, spacious, present moment. Let us at this moment send from here our blessings, our love. Let us be instruments through which pure spirit passes to earth and let it be guided to those who suffer, those who are caught, who are lost into the drama. Let our thoughts and this spaciousness surround them with love, with peace, with equanimity. If there is somebody special you wish to bring to mind, do so. On the way in this evening, 
One woman fell, and she was taken to Marin General Hospital, and perhaps she broke her leg. And her name is Michela Vargas. So send Michela at this point your thoughts of love so that she knows she's not alone, that we're here with her. To people who are imprisoned in their minds, in their bodies which are suffering, in institutions, caught in any way, may they see through the veil and realize that we are all always free. No one can imprison us but ourselves. May each of us become such clear and pure instruments of light, of love, of presence, of clarity, of equanimity, that the light of spirit pours through our every, every cell and everybody we meet is touched by living spirit no matter how we meet them in whatever role in life. Then where we are, everywhere we look, we will see flowers blooming. It's what the sun sees when it looks down from above. What grace, what incredible grace. It's time for the answer, man. Don't try to hold on to a cheap pie. Come on. <clears throat> Questions. You ask a question, I'll give you an answer. Yes. He's talking about how difficult it is to reconcile the suffering and the grace. And he said, I'm good at the suffering part. I'm not so good at the grace. I think it's in our quietest moments that we have a chance to slow down in our reactivity to the point where we can just look at things as they are and see the way in which process happens, in which law unfolds, in which suffering transforms, in which pain awakens, in which it also tightens and how painful the process is. And when you look at people contorted with pain and suffering, 
they don't seem to be growing and you can't understand why that is because you're looking at it from such a short point of view and it takes a kind of faith when you're in the midst of that kind of suffering to say, could that be perfect? Could that be okay? Could that be grace? It's really, this is a big leap. And the leap comes only when you have deepened your own being to the point of view where you're able to stop reacting to the suffering all the time and just for a moment allow it. Just getting out of your judging mind and just allowing and looking at it and looking at it just like you look at summer and winter and autumn and spring and seasons and birth and death and see the jungle and all these processes. I remember once I was down at Big Sur and I was given a house down there by Esalen, uh, Esalen, yeah. And it came with a cat. And in the morning I'd be meditating and the cat would come in with its prey that it was going to eat. And it loved me so it would come over and sit between my legs and eat the lizard or whatever it was. And the lizard would be alive and flapping and I'd be sitting there meditating and I'd hate the cat, and then I'd feel bad for the lizard, and then a moment ago before I'd love the cat, and who should I hate, and who should I love? And I saw that my judging mind was just my judging mind, and this was the process of the universe. And was I really ready to decide that I was to judge whether the cat was bad in eating the lizard? And I saw that I had a stretch further than that. And a lot of our problem comes from our inability to accept our own beauty and accept the grace that comes into our own life. We're great at handling suffering because that fits in with our model that we're inadequate and we're not enough and we kind of deserve to suffer. It's very hard to accept your beauty, accept your divinity, accept life. It's very hard. So the stretching to do in both de uh, degrees, both degrees, it's not an easy one at all. Not an easy one. Could a person be conservative and be spiritual? Absolutely. Absolutely. A person could have any political leaning and be spiritual. They could because they could have it. We have to examine very closely all of our beliefs and attitudes. And oftentimes you can find very deep commitment to a love of people, but a different strategy for bringing about that love. And you've got to realize that people that are opposed to you can do it with good heart. They are not necessarily bad people. It's not the evil empire. Uh, I mean, I, there are people in the conservative movement that are uh, manipulative and unconscious and hurtful. There are people in the liberal sides that do the same thing. But uh, I think that we don't label everybody because of a political predisposition as good or evil. That would be very naive. Questions? Sir? Can you say something about the process? The process of learning to love yourself. I think it really, for me, what it has been is acknowledging and allowing all of the stuff in myself, just starting to allow it, to allow the fact that I can be neurotic, allow the fact that I can have all my petty little fears and that I sometimes get angry and I sometimes are, am arrogant and I sometimes doubt and it's all there and sometimes I'm lazy and sometimes I'm energetic and sometimes I'm ego needful and sometimes I'm fulfilled and allow all of that and just keep allowing and allowing and acknowledging and allowing and saying yes and that too and that too and that too. It's like expanding to allow myself. Sometimes I feel guilty, sometimes I'm ashamed, sometimes I feel trivial. Sometimes before a lecture I feel anxious and insecure. 
Sometimes I feel totally at one with everybody, and they're all me. It's all parts of the dance, of the flow. And it's just constantly saying, and that too, and that too. And I get into a depression. Instead of, I'm depressed, it's more like, wow, dig that depression, and that too. It's sort of developing, cultivating another part of my being that is what's called the witness or the listener or the noter that is there in addition to the part that's depressed or the part that's angry or so on. I remember my guru saying to me, you get angry all the time? Yes, he said, give up anger. I mean, that's like, what do you mean give up anger? It's like giving up yourself. And then suddenly you realize that isn't yourself, that's just another thing, another part of yourself. Give up identifying with it. It's there, anger comes and goes, and here I am. And I just keep cultivating the space in myself that isn't all the stuff. I just keep cultivating it, and I use every time I get caught in the stuff to pull me back up. I use falling asleep to awaken now. Every time I start to feel that thickness of I'm getting into being somebody doing something or being somebody not doing something, I, it immediately, that thickness says, uh-uh, oop, and I come up. And I say, wow, whew, ah, Ram, 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 yes, yes. Suicide and assisted suicide in terminally ill people. Um, I feel that each person has a right to decide to make choices about their incarnation, including when they want to end it. I think that as you become more conscious, there is... A, an appreciation of the value of an incarnation, including the pain of it. And so there is less desire to suicide. Suicide usually involves pushing away incarnation because it's so unpleasant or so painful or so uh, defeating. And that attachment, which involves pushing away, which is the same attachment as grabbing at, is attachment that continues the reincarnational cycle, which we're all going to go through many times anyway, so it's no big deal. However, if you have a chance to use a birth to keep working on attachments, including the attachment to get rid of life, it's useful to do so. So that one would say that while I would say you have a right to suicide, I would counsel you to just think about it and see whether or not there is some way you can use your condition to keep working until such time as your life finishes of its own accord. But uh, I also recognize that very high beings choose when to leave their bodies and they know when they finish their work. And I recognize that many people do have an intuitive sense of I finished all I can do this round. And I don't think there's anything horrible about saying, I've finished this round, I'll go and fight another day. This is as much as I'm going to handle this time around. I don't think it's cursed or horrible or hell or damnation. or That's all nonsense. I think what you're left with is the same karma. Where you are the moment after your death is roughly where you were the moment before. You're out of the body, you're out of the pain, but you are with the attachments of mind that led you to the actions of the way you died. And that's why when there is choice, the game is to die not going towards death and not holding on to life, but just being open to this moment and this moment and then this moment and then ah, this moment and this moment. 
Is, is that, wait a second, hold on one second. Is that dealing with your question? Yes? Well, assisted suicide, I think, uh, I feel that when somebody wants very much to die and they don't have the energy or strength to do that for themselves, that uh, I think they have a right to ask another person to help them. And I think that another person could help them in a morally defensible way, yes. I think that would be okay. I think that it's a tricky one because of the legal issues and because of the judgment of religions. But in my heart of hearts, that feels okay. Okay, is that dealing with the question now? Who said that? Who's raising the question? Uh, you've had your question enough. I think it's fair to give other people a chance, don't you? Really? Yeah, sir. He says when he's meditating, sometimes he feels sadness and he finds himself crying, and sometimes he doesn't. There are ways when you open, when you start to open your heart, there is a statement that the the smile on the Buddha's face is the smile of unbearable compassion. It's the quality when you open to the suffering that is, because you realize that everybody that thinks they're somebody is suffering at some level. That's just the way of it. It's, it, it comes with the territory of incarnation. And you, as you become aware of the immensity of all that, including yourself and all of it, the burden of it is so immense, just the appreciation of it. And with it comes a, the balancing of it is the understanding that that's the way karma works. That is the law of the thing. But at the same moment, you bear the unbearable, it says. You learn to bear the unbearable. And that's why they talk about spiritual people as being the living dead. Because they have died into all of this. And then they can bear the unbearable. And it's so immense and so intense. Sir. The question is about AIDS and the homophobia that AIDS has precipitated. Uh, the homophobia was in the society. The AIDS just precipitated that. I uh, feel that the... First, I feel that AIDS confronts us with a lot of young people facing death. And I think it's hard not to get caught in the drama, and yet it is possible not to do so. It is possible being somebody with AIDS or somebody helping somebody with AIDS to go behind it and work with it and grow through the process of having AIDS and of dying and of helping somebody die with AIDS. I think it is an incredibly rich process for growing, and it is hell. It is hell, but hell is a great growth experience if you know how to use it. And I would like to help people learn how to use that because I think, and there are a percentage of people that would like to use it. And there will be a lot of people that don't want to because they, they can't see that there's any way other than being caught in the drama. And my feeling is that people that are uh, 
homophobic are themselves frightened about their own identity and all I can do is love them and give them space and try to prevent them from hurting other people, from legislating and doing that by protesting. But I don't think I should uh, judge them as anything but caught in their own fears. And when people are caught in their fears, how can you do anything but feel compassion for them? This is a very frightening situation. When people face death or the threat of death, most people who think they're somebody are scared because there's somebody is going to die. We are all, I want to tell you a secret, you are all dying. Every one of you. I mean, it may take you 50 years, but it's absolutely inevitable. Now, you may say, oh, well, I'm not sure about that. And you may have that dream, and that's okay. And maybe you may want to stay on. I'm perfectly willing to serve whatever I've got and go on. But I really feel that we are learning to live with death over our left shoulder. And that's the only time when we will start to be free. And I think the AIDS issue and the nuclear bomb issue and the terrorism issue are all stuff through which we can grow incredibly. And as we grow in compassion and space, we become instruments that exist in the society that reduce the, the reactivity of the society to these issues and bring some sanity into it, some compassion into it. So all I say is these are opportunities to work on yourself. What else can they be? Yes. How do I feel about abortion? <clears throat> I feel that each human being has to make their own decision. Each person. I do not think I could end with a simple rule of the game. I don't see any way. I don't see that I have that wisdom to make a judgment about other people's lives. I think each human being knows. Because I was once with uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, and we were talking about it one night, and he said... Just realize that the fetus and the parents all enter into a conspiracy of consciousness in which sometimes abortion is built into the plan of their game. And sometimes it isn't. And sometimes when it isn't, the parents want to abort and then they can't for some reason, legal or otherwise. And sometimes they don't want and it aborts anyway. I mean, it's interesting that there are games behind the games of mind, of human mind. And I think our decisions, shall I or shouldn't I, that what we're doing is we're responding to deeper messages in ourselves. And I think that's what we have to do when we come to any of these, should I or shouldn't I? Should I marry, shouldn't I? Should I abort, shouldn't I? Should I stay alive or die? Should I? We have to listen. I don't think we can have pat rules that he says this and we can't get away with it. It's not that cheap. It's a much more exciting life than that. Okay. It seems, she says, that it's good to have a strong ego before you go about giving it up. And that's absolutely right on, that you have to become somebody to become nobody. It really works that way. And a lot of people in teenage years try to go for nobody before they become somebody. And it gets very confusing, very confusing for them. And a lot of us went through that. And you realize that you have to develop your ground and then work out of your ground to come into another plane. And so it is true that you become somebody to become nobody. And then you're uniquely somebody, but you're, you're, you're unique. You're not special, you're unique. That's an interesting distinction. We each are unique, but we're not special, more special than somebody else. 
We're each unique in our own way. And it's like everyone is so preciously beautiful in the way they're doing it. Oh, preciously beautiful in the way they're doing it. Yes. The question is, how do you find the balance between allowing suffering and the spaciousness and realizing you're not a victim and you can change it? I think what happens is the more you open to how it is, that how it is includes what your capacities are to change it and an appreciation of that. It's just like I appreciate the laws of it, including my desire to change it. That's part of the laws of it and including my ability to change it and including my appreciation of what's changeable and what isn't. I think if you have to create something that involves denial of anything, you're, you don't have it free. You're not free. The minute you deny anything, you're not free. You're trapped. You've got to allow it all. And in the allness will come the appropriate action. Right? It's a really interesting one. It's a spacious one from which action comes from. And you can't be afraid of it. You know? you can't be, you've got to allow the possibility that when you see how it all is, you may not want to act. Or you may. If you say, well, I'll see how it all is so I can act better, you've already got a plan. The plan has to go too. You've got to throw it all into the pot and then see what comes out. But then you really see what's changeable and then your actions become like judo and whatever you do really works because you're doing it in harmony with the forces of the universe rather than in opposition to them. I want us to do jubilate and it's getting on 11 o'clock and I promised we'd stop at 11. So I want us to do jubilate. So let's hold the questions. And uh, now this is hard because it's in six parts, but you can do it. Don't freak. And I'll, if you don't know it, I'll teach it to you very quickly. And even if you can't sing, sing. And I'll show you how to do it. It's only, it's three words, jubilate, which means jubilation. That's okay. Deo, which means God, but it can mean the void if you're more comfortable with that. <laughs> jubilate, Deo, Alleluia. And Alleluia means hallelujah. And jubilate, the purists say jubilate, but I'm going to say jubilate because I like it better. Jubilate, Deo, jubilate, Deo, Alleluia. Hallelujah. That's the whole thing. Okay. Now we're going to go slow first. I'll do it again slow and you'll hear it. Jubilate Deo, Jubilate Deo. Alleluia. Alleluia. Jubilate Deo, Jubilate Deo. Alleluia. Alleluia. Again. Jubilate Deo, Jubilate Deo. Alleluia. Alleluia. Okay, crisper and with more conviction now. And even if you don't sing, sing. Ready? Jubilate Deo. Jubilate Deo, Alleluia, Alleluia. It's getting better, but cleaner, crisper still. Ready? A little faster. Jubilate Deo, Jubilate Deo, Alleluia, Alleluia. Good. Okay, we'll try a practice one. We'll divide in the middle. Goes jubilate deo jubilate. Ready? Jubilate deo jubilate deo. Alleluia. Alleluia. 
Great. Okay. Now we go into six parts. Ready? Now, the way we do this is we cut across right about along here, and you're one, you're two, you're three, you're four, you're five, and you're six. You all know who you are. A five would never confuse themselves with a four. I mean, it's very clear. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. And you can't screw up or you ruin it for everybody, all right? So don't get nervous, and it's got to be crisp, right? I mean, I've, if we're going on the road, we got to get our act together very fast. Let's do it once more together, because I can feel nervousness. Hallelujah. The Veterans Auditorium has never had it so good. This will be the end, so I just want to tell you beforehand, it's absolutely been delicious being with you. I mean, it's just like family. It's just a wonderful feeling. And uh... <laughs> I think this is what grace feels like, yeah. Okay, here we go, ready. starting. great. Thank you. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.